Last week we talked about having an attitude of gratitude, of not, you know, because sometimes people find it's easy to have an attitude of complaining. You know, it's always looking for the negative side of things. And we talked about having an attitude of gratitude, of always looking for the things to thank God for. And we talked about using uh, the words that we say to have an attitude of gratitude, but also the actions that we display for having an attitude of gratitude. Well, today we start looking forward to Christmas, right? How many people is that your favorite holiday, Christmas? Okay, a few people. Yeah, it's it's one of it's obviously one of the main holidays. We're gonna be start we're gonna start looking through the Christmas story uh, the next three weeks of the events that happened before Christmas. That's preparing for Christmas. Next week we're gonna look at Christmas Day, and then the week after we're gonna be looking at what follows after Christmas. So that's what you can kind of look forward to. Uh, we're gonna be in Luke today. We're gonna be in Luke chapter one, verses twenty six through thirty seven. Uh, I'd like to read a little bit of that for you. Through verse 33. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 33. It says, In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord's with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and will give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Let's pray. God, once again, we come to your house to worship you. We come to a time where we just try to set aside every concern and worry and thought in our mind to focus on what you want to teach us. And I pray that you would help us with that now. I pray that, God, you again, that you would just take away anything that I might say that might not add to the, the message, that it would only be what you want to hear would come out clearly uh, throughout this time. I thank you for this opportunity to share it, and I pray that you would make the most of it. In Jesus' name, amen. So Christmas season is here. Uh, anybody here all prepared for Christmas? All done? Right, I got all my, my decorations up. I got all my presents bought. You know, um, I, you know, Walmart is prepared for Christmas. I think they were prepared for Christmas before Thanksgiving, right? You go to Walmart, you see Halloween, and you see little signs of Christmas sneaking up there, and then it just seems like it's super wonderful, and they're ready to go for Christmas. You know, we as a church, I feel like we're pretty prepared for Christmas. You know, we got some Christmas music, we got this beautiful church that we get to worship in, we got plans being made for Christmas Eve, so we are, as a church, are getting ready for Christmas. We as a family are getting ready for Christmas, and I'll let you know a little secret. Secret. That's not really a secret is we are as prepared as Leslie is Be <laughs> because I really have nothing to do with it. The kids said, here's kind of what we'd like for Christmas. And Leslie did the shopping. She decorated the Christmas tree all by herself. Um, the Christmas music is about my only my input. Like I'll, I'll put on Pandora Christmas. And so that makes me kind of ready for Christmas. 
but a lot goes into preparing for Christmas, right? There's the decorations, there's the food to prepare, there's school programs to attend, there's the Christmas Eve service to look forward to, uh, there's holiday plans to make, right? We, we plan that usually a couple weeks before the Christmas date actually shows up. Well, true Christmas, what you see in Scripture, was obviously planned before creation, but you see it showing up over 2,000 years before Christmas. Jesus' birth was planned uh, up, upwards of 2,700 years before Christmas, and we're going to look at some of those prophecies that help show us that. Three different prophecies, some that are going to be fulfilled pretty immediately, and one that's going to be yet complete to be the full completion later on down the road. So the first one, the first prophecy that we look at today is that a virgin is going to have a baby. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 34. Please allow me to read parts of this again. It says, In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Verse 31 says, You will be with child and will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Verse 34, Mary says, How will this be uh, since I am a virgin? Mary understands the reproductive cycle, right? I'm, she has parents. Uh, we don't know if she's an older sibling, if she's got a younger, if she's got older brothers and sisters, but chances are she's about to get married, right? So she knows about the birds and the bees. She's heard all that awkward conversation from mom and dad to try and explain how this works, or she has seen animals, and so she knows how that all works. And she, she knows that how everyday, normal day life, she knows that she's not pregnant. She knows that this is not possible. She could be thinking, you know, down the road, uh, is this going to be fulfilled when I get married to Joseph? Is that when this baby is going to come? Um, when we look and we see verse 35, the real answer about this is that the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now I look at that through my lens, even though I'm not a woman and having a baby is not something I'm going to do. But I look and say, what does that mean? Right? The Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. Am I, am I going to feel something? Is this while I'm sleeping? I have lots of questions. When is this going to take place? And I'm sure Mary has, a, has no idea really what this really means. But what I, what I like about Mary is that she is a willing participant. Okay? She's someone who's willing to, to go along with this story. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. All sorts of questions going off in her mind. She has no idea what this really means, but she's willing to be a part of it. And we read in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, that this does actually take place. Because this is a prophecy that was written 700 years before the birth of Jesus. But we find that it, it's fulfilled shortly after this, this, uh, the angel tells Mary that this is what's going to take place. It says in Matthew 1.18, This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. 
So this is something that is, is going to take place in the short future uh, between now and next week, between the announcement that this is going to take place and the time of Jesus' birth, uh, nine months prior, right, is when she's going to um, become a mother for the first time. And Mary's okay with this. She says, I'm all, I'm all in for this. I don't know what this means, but I'm going to do this. And we find Joseph. He's got a little different take on this. It says, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. He loved Mary. He knew what the penalty was for Mary being found pregnant out of wedlock. You know, in some cultures, it meant death. In some culture, it meant something like disfiguring your face, cutting off your nose. Right? Nobody wants to be looking at that every day. I think that was, that was a really awful punishment. I think I'd rather die than have my nose cut off. Uh, but that's how it was in some cultures. Joseph loved her. He says, I don't want her to go through that, but I, I don't really want to be a part of this. God takes care of that. Um, Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 to 21. It says, um, it says, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is, con is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Verse 24 says, when Joseph woke up, he said, okay, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Joseph had absolutely nothing to do with the conception of Jesus, right? So this is a prophecy that took place 700 years ago. It was It's going to be fulfilled. And we see that, yes, it was fulfilled exactly like, like it was. It says that the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. That's the fulfilled part of the prophecy. Where does this show up? It shows up in Isaiah 7, 14. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. This idea was not like a last-minute idea, like, okay, uh, we got to have a birth, Jesus has got to come, so we're going to quickly figure out what are we going to do to prepare for Christmas. This was 700 years prior that Isaiah wrote these words. Talk about being prepared. You know, in my, my whole lifetime, I don't think I've been more prepared than a couple of months ahead as, as I move. But 700 years, this is definitely preparation before the, the Christmas story. This is not an ordinary situation. This is not an ordinary child. It took that amount of time. It says his name will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, Emmanuel wasn't his name. We don't call Emmanuel Christ. We call him Jesus Christ because he's going to save his people from their sins. Emmanuel is who he is, who he was. It's Emmanuel means God with us. God literally coming down to this earth in a physical body like you and I have to experience life with us, to go through what life that we have uh, that they did at that time. It says in John 1, 1, all the wanted kids, right? You guys know this verse. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word, Word is another name for Jesus. He was with God, and He was God. And you read in John 1, 14, the Word became flesh. 
Jesus, God in the flesh, came down to the earth. He made his dwelling among people. The, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth. These are just verses to stick in your mind to prove that Jesus is God. And he came down to the earth in the flesh. John 10, 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. He's not saying we are the, the, the same. We are, we are not one person. We are, I'm exactly the same as my father. That'd be me and Noah saying, uh, Noah saying, I and my father are one. We are separate. But what we have, Noah and I, and Caleb and I, is we have the same human nature. Right? We exact same human nature. Jesus has the exact nature of God. He has a God nature that he only shares with God that obviously none of us shares with him. So this is Jesus coming down to the earth in the flesh. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 6. It says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God. Jesus, God in the flesh, came down to this earth before Chris, or you know, at Christmas time to experience life that we were going through. But he didn't just come to experience life that we're going through. Uh, he came to do something so much more. I know you guys know what it is. He came to die on a cross to pay for our sins. Now, it couldn't just be another baby that came down to this earth because that baby would have went through this life. He would have lied. He would have stolen. He would have cheated. He would have said things he shouldn't have said. He would have sinned in any which way possible, just like the rest of us. He would have needed a Savior just like I did. So Jesus came down to this earth himself as a baby. That's how much he loves you. To do it himself. To go through the life that we went through in order to die at a cross. To be the perfect sacrifice so that we could have eternal life. And that's what it took. And Jesus says, I will do that for you. So the prophecy number one is that the virgin would have give birth to a, a baby. A baby boy. So we have mama, right? We have a very important part of this puzzle. We need the mama who's going to be the, the mother of this baby. Now we need a location, right? What's the location of Jesus' birth? Bethlehem. Kudos to whoever said it. I, I, I couldn't hear. Was it, was it you, Sharon? Yes, okay. Bethlehem was the place of Jesus' birth. You've got to have a place on earth to be born. Prophecy number two, Matthew chapter 2, verses 5 through 6. Talks about where Jesus was going to be born. It says, in, uh, it says, In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Bethlehem was the place where Jesus was supposed to be born. You know, if we back up a little bit, uh, after it's fulfilled, I and mean, they find out, and it's fulfilled at the birth of Jesus. But you find that the wise men came from the east, and they came to worship this. They followed a star, and they came to worship the, the king that was connected to the star. They stopped in Jerusalem, and they said, hey, where's the king who was born? Who is Jesus, or this baby who was born king of the Jews? We saw a star in the east, and we came to worship him. King Herod says, great competition. I have no idea. Let me go talk to the people's chief priests and teachers of the law. Guess what? 
They knew exactly where Jesus was to be born. It was prophesied, but they didn't care. They didn't go check it out themselves. They just said, hey, we know the facts. This is where Jesus was supposed to be born. This was prophesied over 700 years ago, uh, before the birth of Jesus, where Jesus was supposed to be born. Where does this prophecy show up? It shows up in Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will rule, be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. We find right there, Jesus, who was supposed to be born in the town of Bethlehem. And it was fulfilled at the exact moment of Jesus' birth on Christmas Day. Over 700 years ago. Now, if you think about this, Mary and Joseph, they're currently not in Bethlehem right now, right? They are in Nazareth. They're working out plans of being married, of, of having uh, this baby that she's going to be born, and maybe figuring out how life is going to look with all of a sudden three people instead of two getting to know each other, right? That's what they're doing. And so they have no plans to go to Bethlehem. They have no desire to go there. But God does. God has an important mission that he wants them to accomplish, and so God's going to bring that about. It's prophesied this is where this, this baby is supposed to be born. Mary and Joseph has no thought of going there, so God works out the details. He has the plans in order to get Mary and Joseph to the town of Bethlehem. And he uses a prophecy to do that, to get them there. Or, I mean, he doesn't use a prophecy. He uses a uh, a decree. It says in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David. Mary and Joseph both belong, belong to the house and the line of David. Uh, we find here... Uh, they're taking their, obviously they're taking their trip up to Bethlehem. They decide to go. I, it doesn't say that Mary rode a donkey. So when we do the Christmas IQ test in the near future in the Sunday school class, remember it does not say that they are going on a donkey. But we find, it says, now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought of Joseph, the son of David. Right, so this, we're just looking at the genealogy that proves that Joseph was from the line of David, which was made it so important for Joseph and Mary to go there. And it says, so it was thought, because Joseph really wasn't the biological father of Jesus. It, he was the stepdad of Jesus, and so it was, so it was thought that he was of the, of the father of David. And Matthew, it says, uh, and if we read through the genealogy, it says Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, uh, of whom was born Jesus. And it says there in verse 17, there's 14 generations from Abraham to David, from David to the exile, um, from the exiles to Christ. I realize that's boring information right there, but it's proving that, yes, Mary and Joseph were both from the line of David, which made it that important for them to go to Bethlehem, which meant God had to do something in order to get them there, which was this de decree to go and register in the town of Bethlehem. God didn't just have one plan, uh, preparation to make. He had to work out every little detail in order to make all this prophecy work out exactly as he wanted it to happen. Bethlehem 
in its beginning was a pretty big deal. You know, King David came from Bethlehem. He was, he was a shepherd boy watching over his, his father's sheep. We talked about this in Awana and how uh, Samuel, he showed up and he wanted to anoint one of uh, David's brothers king. The oldest one, he looked good and he looked strong. This has got to be the king, right? And God says, don't look at his outward appearance. That sound familiar, kids? Don't, God told uh, Samuel, don't look at his outward appearance. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart, right? And so they went through the line and they ultimately ended up that David was going to be king over Israel, which is what eventually does take place. You follow that gene genealogy down and you finally get to the birth of Jesus. At this point, though, it's no, Bethlehem is no big deal. It was a great big deal. Now it's something small. It's, it's not something that impressive. So, we have, we've, we've seen that it was prophesied that the birth of Jesus would be from a virgin. Right? Check mark. We got that one looked at. The second thing is prophesied that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. We got the mama. We got the location. Now all we need to do is figure out what is this baby going to do? What is the purpose of this child that is going to be born? Let me read uh, chapter 1, verses 32 to 33. It says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now this prophecy was, was prophesied over, over 2,700 years ago, right? Because we got 2,000 years ago to the birth of Jesus, and another 700 years to, uh, to Isaiah as he writes these words. So 2,700 years ago, this prophecy was shared, but it is only partially fulfilled. Right, right before, uh, before Christmas, we have Mary getting pregnant. At Christmas time, we see uh, Bethlehem, we see the location, and now we see that this third prophecy is only partly fulfilled. And verse 32a it says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. We can look right now and see that that's really what's really true. Jesus is great. While he was here on earth, he was great. He was called the Son of the Most High. You know, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. God gave His Son. He's the Son of God. We, we've proved that. We can prove it over and over again. Jesus is great. The first half of this is fulfilled. But the rest of this has yet to be fulfilled. It is, it will, but it's, it will be fulfilled. It will be fulfilled and during the millennial reign of Christ. You know, if we think about the pre-trib the pre-tribulational rapture view, we have, okay, we're, we're all sitting here in church, we're singing Christmas songs, and boom, we're out of here. And then the tribulation comes. It lasts for seven years. Then after seven years, Jesus comes down to this earth, and he reigns for a thousand years. That's when Jesus is going to reign. That's when the rest of this is going to be fulfilled. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He's going to literally reign on this earth over the house of Jacob. And from that point on, his kingdom is never going to end. It is never going to be given up. It's never going to be taken away from him. It's going to last forever. Pretty cool, right? It's prophesied a long time ago. Eventually, it is going to, be take, it's going to take place. Isaiah 9, 7. This is where we find the prophecy of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from time from that time on until forever. God's going to make sure that this indeed really does happen.
Isaiah 9, 7 is a prophecy that's going to be ultimately fulfilled. Isaiah 9, 6, which comes right before Isaiah 9, 7, says he's going to be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. You think about a wonderful counselor, uh, it denotes one of honorable rank. Uh, what, you know, think about kings and princes who are ruling over a country. Uh, the, the wonderful counselor is the guy who stands next to that king and gives them advice on decisions that they are to make. And that's what Jesus is going to be. It's, it's expressive, this term is as expressive of great wisdom and of qualifications to guide the human race. Jesus is God. He knows everything. He knows every right and wrong turn, every right and wrong answer. He's going to be ruling as a wonderful counselor, capable of solving any and every problem. He's going to be known as mighty God. Right? We already saw John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. We already know that He is God. There's so much more in Scripture that proves that Jesus is God. In Mark chapter 5, 2, you find the story of the paralytic. You know how his friends, they, they crawl up on a roof because they couldn't get in. And they pulled away all the tiles and they somehow let this guy down through the floor or through the ceiling down in the middle of everybody. And Jesus says uh, that he, your sins are forgiven. Everybody says, only God can forgive sins. He says, I'm going to prove to you, in my own paraphrase, that I can forgive sins. Man, you're, uh, get up and walk, right? Because Jesus healed this guy, he proved that he, could for, uh, he was God and that he could indeed forgive sins. Nobody can forgive sins but God. Jesus was God. Jesus accepted worship, which only God was to be worshipped. Uh, Jesus was recognized as God by man. When Jesus rose from the dead, he met with his disciples. He ended up talking to a guy by the name of Thomas. He shows him his hands and his feet. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Even man recognized that he was God. He's going to be known as the everlasting father, the father of eternity. From everlasting to everlasting, he is God. He's going to be known as the Prince of Peace. He's the one who offers peace. He keeps the peace. He makes peace even possible. He made peace with me through his blood on the cross. Romans 5.1 talks about that. Let me read it for you instead of trying to butcher it here, trying to say it. Uh, Romans 5.1. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I, before Jesus, I had no peace with God. I was an enemy of God. I was on the fast track to hell, which is exactly what I deserved. But because of Jesus, I have peace with God. And as he rules on this earth, there's going to be peace like you would not believe. Um, in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 through 9, we're gonna I, I'm going to read just here a little bit of what that peace is, is going to be like. Um, Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 through 9. Gives a little description, a little taste of what that thousand year reign is going to look like. It says, The wolf will lie down with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, the young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. It says, The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young young child put his hand into the viper's nest they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the lord as the waters cover the sea 
You know, I, I'd, I sure wouldn't like to see today taking one of your calves and, and putting it in a, next to a lion or next to a bear, right? Anybody? You obviously know what's going to happen. Uh, you know what's going to happen if a little kid sticks his hands in a viper's nest or tries to pit, play with a cobra. We know exactly what's going to happen today. But during that thousand-year reign of Christ, it's, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be super peaceful. And those of us who are believers in Christ are going to be reigning with Jesus in some capacity. I can't tell you what those capacities are, uh, but we're going to be able to witness this. We're going to be a part of this. And he's going to be known as the Prince of Peace. You know, Christmas, it's just around the corner. Can anybody tell me how many days away it is? How many days till Christmas? Today is December 25th. 20 days until Christmas, it's not very far away, right? All of a sudden, uh, procrastination has to go out the window. I can't do that anymore. I have to be preparing. You know, Walmart's been prepared. My wife is pretty prepared. Our church is trying to get prepared for this Christmas holiday. All these things that we do make Christmas that much more fun. The music, the friends, the, the presents, uh, the, the, the prophecies about Christmas... The preparation that took place over 2,700 years ago. But Christmas doesn't begin and end with Christmas. It doesn't, we don't just, I mean, some people it does. It's like you wait till, uh, you know, after Halloween, you start looking forward to Christmas. And then you, after Christmas, you kind of forget about it. Um, I was talking to James, our teacher, James, and he said that you have four months of it in where is that? Philippines. The Philippines. You have the Burr months. September, October, November, December. Four months of Christmas preparation because of the financial aspect to it. But Christmas doesn't start there. Christmas is an all-day, everyday kind of thing because Jesus didn't come just to be a holiday. He didn't just come to give me an extra day off or a Christmas concert at school. He didn't come just so that I can have presents under a Christmas tree. Jesus came to give us eternal life. He came to be the ultimate gift for everybody for all year long. And so if you know Jesus, you have that gift in your life. But Jesus wants to be that gift for other people. And so I want to encourage you to take that gift and to share it with other people. Jesus is the reason for this season. But Jesus is the reason for spring and for fall and for this summer because Jesus is the purpose and the goal of life. So be excited. Get together with your families. Crank up that Christmas music. Eat that Christmas turkey till you're stuffed, right? Do all those kinds of things. But remember, starting today, Jesus is the reason. And I just want to encourage you, encourage myself to make sure that we make Jesus the focus. You know, on Christmas morning, you know, you wake up and you tear apart the presents or Christmas Eve. Uh, but why not read the Christmas story? Why not take a moment to sing happy birthday? Why not do something to recognize Thank you, Jesus, because this is more than just another day of celebrating, another day of getting together. Yes, Jesus is the reason for the season uh, around Christmas, but Jesus is the reason for every day. And I just want to encourage us to live our life like that this year. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the Christmas season. I thank you, God, for coming to this earth as a baby, as a human. You didn't make everything cushy and, and super wonderful for yourself. You weren't born in a palace with every uh, amenity that there is possible. You went to a cold stable on a cold night, and you, you, you were born there to poor parents. 
I thank you, God, that you sent Jesus, that you, you God, you came in the flesh you, to do for us what we couldn't do, to be the perfect, to live a perfect life, to be the perfect sacrifice so that we could have eternal life. God, I know it's easy for us to get caught up in all the fun things about Christmas, about the plans and the gifts and the songs and, and that sort of thing, but I just, I pray that you'd remind us each gently that you are the reason for the season, the birth of Jesus so that we could have a Savior. Please encourage us to live for you every day as if it was as if the, the most important thing that we had, the most important gift that we could possibly have and to share with others. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to this earth and for being our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.